for reading our scripture tonight. We appreciate so much your presence. We hope that this hour of worship will be beneficial to you. We're grateful for the opportunity to be together. We're always grateful for those who are visiting. And if you are here tonight and visiting, we invite you to come back and be with us. We're so grateful for the many visitors who come our way from week to week. And it is an honor to have you with us. Tonight, we're going to be talking about Jesus as revealed in Scripture. And I want to just give you a little bit of background to our study tonight. The last couple of weeks we've been talking about Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, where the writer there talked about how the Christians in the first century should have been progressing in the faith, but rather than progressing, they had become stagnant, and the writer said they needed to go back and learn the ABCs of Christianity. So we titled those lessons, Back to the Bible. And over the course of those two weeks, I, I compiled two separate lists, some of those questions on both lists. Uh, some of those questions were, some of the questions were on both lists, uh, some not. But nonetheless, I read several questions, or I think I had 20 the first week, 25 the second week, I can't recall. But Jared and I were talking about the questions. And our goal is to learn, and we want to grow in knowledge. So Jared suggested, and I'm certainly in agreement, that maybe it would be good to take some of these questions, zero in on those questions, and try to provide biblical answers, because after all, we're here to learn and to grow. And uh, I think a lot to be said for just going back looking at fundamentals. And so tonight, our lesson is different in the sense that we don't have what I would call a specific text. What I have with me, the questions that are on the back of the lesson that was presented this morning. And there are seven questions. And I want to begin tonight by asking this question. How many of you brought your Bible tonight? Did you bring your Bible? You know, I think about when I was in school. If I had, if I had science class, if I didn't take my textbook to class, then I was in trouble. Because if you're going to learn about science, you need a textbook, don't you? Well, if we're going to know about Scripture, then we need a textbook. That textbook won't do us any good if we leave it at home. So I want to encourage you, bring your Bible. And I want to really encourage you to follow along. If you don't know the answers to these questions, and I'll do my best to provide you answers to these questions, and the questions that we're going to be looking at, the answers are no way exhaustive. They're just some brief passages of Scripture that would underscore each of the questions. And I want to begin by emphasizing 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Peter said, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And be ready to give an answer, a defense, to every man that asks you of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. What Peter is saying is that as a Christian, we need to know what we believe. And secondly, we need to know why we believe it. We have to have some rock-solid conclusions and convictions in our spiritual life. So the questions that we're looking at tonight, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're not going to be talking about anything that 
you haven't heard before. But I think it's important for us, and we're going to begin by looking at Jesus and the Jesus that is revealed in Scripture. And there are a lot of people in our world today, they have many, many questions about Jesus. And I would say that there was a day and time in this country that if you talked about Jesus, most everyone knew who you were talking about. That's not necessarily the case today. There are a lot of folks that they really don't have much knowledge or information about Jesus. They have heard some things about him, but they really don't know definitively what the Bible says about Jesus. And so we're going to go to the source. And tonight we're going to begin by asking this question. Is Jesus the Son of God? If someone were to ask you at work this week or in the classroom, maybe a neighbor, a family member, were to call you on the phone and ask you, is Jesus the Son of God? Could you give them more than a yes or no answer? It's one thing to say, yes, he's the Son of God, but can you prove it? Do you have passages of Scripture that you can back up your belief system? Well, in Matthew chapter 16, you remember in verse 13, the Bible talks about Jesus coming into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus asked his disciples on that occasion, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked this question, but whom do you say that I am? Peter, of course, had been enlisted by the Lord Jesus. He was one of his apostles, an ambassador of his, specifically chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter said, you are the Christ. Now listen to what he said, the son of the living God. Peter here affirming the sonship of Jesus. In John chapter 1, the Bible tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. John here, underscoring the fact that Jesus is deity, that He existed in the very beginning with God. Now down in verse 14, John said, the Word became flesh, that eternal Word inhabited human flesh. Micah, back in chapter 5, verse 2, foretold of the birthplace of Jesus. He identified that as Bethlehem of Judea. Matthew, in chapter 2, tells us that's exactly where Jesus was born and that it was in harmony with what the prophet had foretold. But Micah said, speaking of Christ, whose goings forth are of old, even from everlasting, from the days of eternity. Micah here pointing to the coming of God's only begotten Son. And so we think about the sonship of Jesus, the fact that Jesus Christ is indeed the divine Son of the living God. In John chapter 6, when Jesus identified himself as the bread of life, you remember John said, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Jesus then asked the question, will you also go away? Again, Peter speaks up, and Peter asked this question. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
for you have the words of life eternal. And then he said, for we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of God. How did Peter know that? Well, Jesus said that the Father in heaven had revealed him. Do you not think that the time that Peter spent along with the other apostles with Jesus, that they had insight into the fact that Jesus was something other than an ordinary man, that he was in fact who he claimed to be, the Son of God? Look at the message that Jesus preached and taught over and over again. John said, by way of commentary, no man ever spoke like this man in John 7, verse 46. And then add to that the many miracles that Jesus performed. In the book of John, there are seven I am statements. There are also seven miracles recorded by John emphasizing the deity of Christ, the fact that Jesus was who he claimed to be. Because in John chapter 5, in verse 36, Jesus said, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. So Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now there are a lot of people in the world today that will acknowledge Jesus as a good man. They'll talk about his, his humanity and his humanitarian and benevolent actions in life. They'll speak of his tremendous love and compassion as being someone who was merciful, but to acknowledge him as the Son of God, they're not there yet. But Jesus was and is the Son of God. In John chapter 9, we read of Jesus giving sight to a man that had been born blind. And this raised all kinds of problems for this young man as well as his parents. The Jews in that day really took him to task. And so Jesus asked him a question. He said, do you believe in the Son of God? And this man responded by asking this question, who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said, you have both seen him and it is, it is he who is talking to you. Jesus here acknowledging the fact that he was indeed the Son of God. So, if somebody were to ask you this week, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? I would hope you could say yes. And here's why. And here's some verses that underscore the fact that Jesus was God's only begotten Son. As a matter of fact, in John 3, 16, when Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That word or the words only begotten mean only one of a kind. Jesus was unique in the sense that he was the God-man, God in the flesh, God incarnate. Now a second question that we have on our list, I hope you brought a pen tonight and you can write these verses down. If you didn't bring a pen, I would encourage you to get the tape. And I would also suggest that you go home and maybe add some additional verses to these. Secondly, is Jesus an eternal being? 
I mentioned a moment ago, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, where Micah the prophet foretold of the birthplace of Jesus. And Micah said, whose goings forth are from of old, even from everlasting, from the days of eternity, underscoring the eternal nature of Jesus. Do you remember in John chapter 8, Jesus engaged in dialogue with the Jews of his day? And they talked about Abraham, and they, because of their lineage, prided themselves on their ancestry. And they thought that because they were of the seed of Abraham, that they were okay. And so Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 58, listen to him. He said, before Abraham was, I am. That statement, I am, denotes the self-existent one. When you think about Jesus and you think about God, and Jesus has all the qualities of God the Father in the sense that they are on a, on a plane or on an equality equal to one another. When you think about the eternal nature of Jesus and the fact that He is God's only begotten Son, and there are so many verses that would underscore this, but I mentioned John chapter 8, verse 58, because there the writer is underscoring, barring the words of Jesus, underscoring the fact that Jesus is that self-existent one. Jesus in Colossians chapter 1, is identified as the image of the invisible God. The word image there is the word from which we get our word icon. And the idea is that Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. God the Father is from, as the psalmist said, from everlasting to everlasting. Could it not be said that Jesus too is from everlasting to everlasting? Is he not an eternal being? Yes, he is. Jesus was not, he is not a created being. Now, there are some that have the idea that Jesus did not begin by way of origin until his birth by Mary. But Jesus has always existed. As a matter of fact, Jesus was present when the world began, because he was the agent by which the world was made. That's what John said in John chapter 1, verse 3. And Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, that all things were made by him, visible and invisible, things in heaven and things on earth. So, is Jesus an eternal being? The answer is yes. He is the Son of God, he is an eternal being, but then there's a third question. A question that many people ask from time to time. Why did Jesus come to earth? If someone were to ask you, why in the world would deity come to earth? What would you say? Would you not begin by saying that man had a problem identified in Scripture as sin? Mankind in the Garden of Eden transgressed the law of God, making it imperative that he have a Redeemer. God had a plan in place. 
That plan was in place before he ever laid the foundation of the world. So when mankind sinned in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God began unveiling the seed promise. And the Old Testament walks us through the coming of the Messiah. And over and over again, there are some 300 prophecies about the coming of the Messiah or the Anointed One. And over and over again, the writers are pointing to that time in history when Jesus would come. Paul would say in Galatians chapter 4, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that are under the law. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Jesus came to do what? To redeem the human family. Why? Because of sin. Without the Son of God, mankind would be forever, eternally lost. Jesus was the mediator who came for the purpose of reconciling fallen man to God the Father. Jesus said in John chapter, well, in Luke chapter 19, in verse 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to save people. That was his purpose. Do you remember the angel of God that spoke to Joseph in a dream as recorded by Matthew in chapter 1? That angel said to Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, that that which was conceived in Mary was of the Holy Spirit. And the angel said, she shall bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus, for it is he that shall save his people from their sins. Matthew 1 verse 21. Jesus came to save. Save everyone. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 20 verse 28. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for the many. So sometimes people want to know, why did Jesus come to earth? Well, there was a reason. Jesus was identified by John in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, as the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He is identified as the Lamb of God by John the Baptist. And by the way, John the Baptist affirmed in John chapter 1, he said, following the baptism of Jesus, that he had seen and testified, listen to him, that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist acknowledged that. Understanding that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John 1, 29. Jesus came for a specific purpose. A fourth question. Is salvation exclusively through Jesus? Now, the answer I'm going to give tonight is not what we would call politically correct. We live in a day and time when there are a lot of folks, some who even identify themselves as preachers, who are not willing to affirm what the Bible teaches about salvation and the fact that it is exclusive to Jesus. One of the verses I'm going to cite tonight, John chapter 14, verse 6, and here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you this week to take John chapter 14, verse 6, and commit that verse to memory if you don't know it. Write it down. Put it on a, post, on a little postcard or something. 
Keep it with you. Pull it out. Look at it every day. Commit it to memory. Why? Because it tells us that Jesus is the only one who has the ability or power to save. Now, in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John there uses the definite article, the, and that's important. Because what Jesus is saying is, I am the exclusive way. I am the exclusive truth. I am the exclusive life. If we want to enjoy a relationship with God the Father, Jesus said, you have to go through me. Now that doesn't square with a lot of people in the world in which we live today. Matter of fact, there are a lot of folks in America that have bought into the idea that you can be saved by someone other than Jesus. And I think about how the teaching of Islam has caught fire in this country. And there are many people that would put Muhammad on a plane equal to Jesus. Some even saying that he would be superior to Jesus. Listen, Islam offers no hope. It is a religion that is dead to the core. The only hope that men and women have is Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 4 in verse 12, Peter and John, they had been interrogated by the Sanhedrin council. They wanted to know by what power, what name, they had healed that man at the gate of the temple in the city of Jerusalem. And they pointed out that they had done that great miracle through the power of Jesus. In verse 12, and you think about the Jewish aristocrats of that day and the Sanhedrin council, they were the wealthy, the upper crust. And the Bible tells us that these men said, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What are you saying, Peter and John? Are you saying that salvation is exclusive to Jesus Christ? That's exactly right. That's been nearly 2,000 years ago and that hasn't changed. Salvation is still exclusive to Jesus, the Son of God. I mean, think about it this way. Jesus redeemed us by his blood, didn't he? The Bible says in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Jesus is the one who paid the price for our salvation. The Bible also says that Jesus is the one who has reconciled us in his body. If we're going to be saved, we have to enjoy the redeeming blood of Christ. We have to be in the reconciling body of Christ without which there's no hope. In Ephesians 2, verse 12, Paul said those who are outside of Christ, outside of covenant relationship with the Lord, he said they are without hope and without God in this world. And the difference is, in verse 13, he said, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off are brought near by the blood of Christ. Is salvation exclusive to Jesus? Yes, sir. Or yes, ma'am. Number five. 
And this question overlaps number four. Can a person be saved outside of Jesus Christ? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, Paul said, I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may obtain salvation, listen to him, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Where is salvation? It's in Christ, isn't it? Paul here locates salvation as being in Christ Jesus. So if salvation is in Christ, can you be saved outside of Christ? You know the answer to that. Paul said you're without hope and without God. But listen to him in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, and you read the book of Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, six chapters, some 35 times throughout that chapter, the phrase is used, in Christ, or its equivalent, suggesting that there is something important to being in Christ. Why? Because that's where all spiritual blessings are, Ephesians 1.3. That's where redemption is, Ephesians 1.7. That's where reconciliation is, Ephesians 2.16. So, can a person be saved outside of Christ? The answer is no. Now, here's a question. It's an important question. If salvation is in Christ and Jesus has redeemed us by His blood, reconciled us in His body, how do we contact His blood? How do we become a part of His body? If somebody were to ask you tonight, can I be saved outside of Christ? And you pointed them in the direction of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. They said, well, okay, salvation is in Christ. I get that. How then am I supposed to get into Christ? I mean, does the Bible teach us how to get into Christ? Does the Bible teach us how to enjoy the benefits of the blood of Jesus? It either does or it doesn't. Where did Jesus shed his blood? John 19, 34 and 35, in death, didn't he? How do we contact that blood? Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Paul said, know you not that all we who are baptized into Christ, listen to him, were baptized into his death. When we're baptized into the death of Christ, we enjoy the benefits of that blood. We contact the grace of God. We enjoy the mercy of God. Now, as I think about the importance of this question, it occurs to me that there are a lot of people who willingly, honestly, ask the question, what do I need to do to become a Christian? What you typically hear on television or the radio is not what you hear Peter say. It's not what you hear Paul say that he did. So if we believe in the integrity of Scripture, and our goal is to follow the Scriptures, if somebody asks the question, what do I need to do to become a child of God to enjoy the benefits of salvation in Christ, then don't you think that I ought to tell them what the Bible says? In Acts chapter 2, when those people had been pricked in their heart and cried out unto Peter and the rest of the apostles and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What was it Peter said? Didn't Peter say, here's what I want you to do. Repent of all your sins and then say this prayer. Is that what he said? 
That's what I hear people say. Peter said, no, you repent. And you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Salvation is in Christ. The only way to get into Christ is to be baptized into Christ. Romans 6, 3, and 4. Paul said you are all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Galatians chapter 3, verse 25. He said, as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, listen to him, have put on Christ. When we're baptized into Christ, we put him on. The new birth affords us a new beginning and new blessings. A sixth question. Our time's almost gone. Will Jesus come again? There are a lot of people in the world today that ask that question. I have no doubt that they're honest in asking. But will he come again? The Bible says he will. As a matter of fact, Peter tells us that the Lord will come as a thief in the night. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. He said, the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat, and the earth and the works therein, listen to him, shall be burned up. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes, the earth as we know it is not going to be renovated, it's going to be terminated. The Lord Jesus is coming for those of us who belong to the family of God. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 that no one knows, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. There are a lot of people in the world today, they've tried to pinpoint when the Lord's coming and they talk about the signs of His coming. Matthew chapter 24 does not teach anything about the signs of the second coming of Jesus Christ. There are no signs about His coming. In Matthew chapter 24, He does deal with the second coming of Christ, but He also deals with the termination of the Jewish system when the Lord came in judgment in A.D. 70. And then seventhly, does Jesus have the authority to judge the world? I want you to see a passage with me for a moment. Look at John chapter 5. Look at John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, the Bible says in verse 27, the Father has given him, that is Jesus' authority, to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Jesus is, is one day going to judge the heart and lives of all who have ever lived. Paul said, we shall all stand before the judgment of Christ, that each one may give an account of the deeds done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. We're all going to be ushered into the presence of the Son of God. The Lord Jesus is going to be the one who executes judgment. The standard by which he's going to judge the world is his word. And so we ask the question tonight, does it really matter if I know the answer to these questions? And the answer is yes. I mean, you think about it. We began by asking this question. Is Jesus the Son of God? For those who say it really doesn't matter if you believe in the deity of Christ, 
I want you to listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 8. Jesus said, except you believe that I am, that is the self-existent one, the Son of God, he said, you'll die in your sins. So it does matter. And the fact that we are moving in the direction of that universal judgment. Paul said to those who were present in Athens that God would judge the world in righteousness by that man. That man, of course, is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about his second coming. He said that he will come with all his holy angels. He will be seated upon the throne of his glory and all nations will be brought before him. We'll give an account to him. I hope that these questions have been helpful. The answers have been helpful. If you didn't have a chance to write all those verses down, I would encourage you to, as I said a moment ago, get the tape. We could have taken the time to go through all of these verses and read them one by one, but for the sake of time, we really didn't have enough time to do that. But I want to encourage you, search the scriptures, as Jesus said. I was reading an interesting article this past week. And the writer of this article said, there was a time in churches of Christ when members were Bible-toting, Bible-quoting people. He said, sadly, that's not true anymore. So what I want to encourage you to do is read and study. Read and study. Rope off some time every day. And I want to encourage you to take these questions and you come up with the answers and hopefully and prayerfully if somebody asks you, the questions that we discussed tonight, that you'll be able to tell them what the Bible says in your own words using the Scriptures. If you're here tonight and you have not obeyed the Gospel, you believe Jesus is the Son of God, but you've never repented of your sins, you haven't confessed His name, you haven't been immersed in water, then why not tonight? We sing that song from time to time, Oh, why not tonight? What would keep you from obeying the gospel? If you're here tonight and maybe you're not faithful, your life's not what it ought to be as a Christian, we'd love to pray with you and for you, recognizing that God will abundantly pardon, 1 John 1, 9. We encourage you to come tonight as we stand and sing.